0: We're going to hear the 14th chapter of our book a little princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett and a jingle from the jingle book by Carolyn Wells Remember I said I'd split up this chapter Well, I'm not going to because it's just seven pages long I thought it was longer, but it turns out that chapter 15 is the super long chapter It's 30 pages long not reading that in one episode. It'd be like One hour like not even 20 minutes. It would be an hour Oh, I keep forgetting. If you can and have the time, please, please, please review my podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really helps this to get more out in the world. Thank you so much. If you're new here, you should probably pause here and go listen to all the other episodes I've done. Oh, maybe you should also go re-listening to the first episodes. Believe me, you're going to need it. Think of it like, I don't know, studying maybe or like homework. Some of you are probably super busy with school, so this is extra homework, but don't worry. It's optional. So I live in this place where there's a lot of dogs, and right now they're barking a lot. You can probably hear them. So I'm really sorry about that, but I can't just like, boom with the magic wand, Ooh, shut up. I can't do that, so just bear with me. You probably can't hear them very much, but it's kind of a little bit distracting for me, so just bear with me if I lose my train of thought or something. Okay. Let's start. Chapter 14 What Melchizedek Heard and Saw On this very afternoon, while Sarah was out, a strange thing happened in the attic. Only Melchizedek saw and heard it, and he was so much alarmed and mystified that he scuttled back to his hole and hid there, and really quaked and trembled as he peeped out furtively and with great caution to watch what was going on. The attic had been very still all the day after Sarah had left it in the early morning, The stillness had only been broken by the pattering of the rain upon the slates and the skylight. Melchizedek had, in fact, found it rather dull, and when the rain ceased to patter and perfect silence reigned, he decided to come out and reconnoitre, though experience taught him that Sarah would not return for some time. He had been rambling and sniffing about, and had just found a totally unexpected and unexplained crumb left from his last meal, when his attention was attracted by a sound on the roof. He stopped to listen with a palpitating heart. The sound suggested that something was moving on the roof. It was approaching the skylight. It reached the skylight. The skylight was being mysteriously open. A dark face peered into the attic. Then another face appeared behind it, and both looked in with signs of caution and interest. Two men were outside on the roof, and were making silent preparation to enter through the skylight itself. One was Ramdas and the other was a young man who was the Indian gentleman's secretary, but of course Melchizedek did not know this. He only knew that the men were invading the silence and privacy of the attic, and as the one with the dark face let himself down through the aperture with such lightness and dexterity that he did not make the slightest sound, Melchizedek turned tail and fled precipitately back to his hole. He was frightened to death. He had ceased to be timid with Sarah, and knew she would never throw anything but crumbs, and would never make any sound other than the soft, low, coaxing whistling. But strange men were dangerous things to remain near. He lay close and flat near the entrance of his home, just managing to peep through the crack with a bright alarmed eye. How much he understood of the talk he heard, I am not in the least able to say. But, even if he had understood it all, he would probably have remained greatly mystified." The secretary, who was light and young, slipped through the skylight as noiselessly as Ramdas had done, and he caught a last glimpse of Melchizedek's vanishing tail. Was that a rat? he asked Ramdas in a whisper. Yes, a rat Sahib, answered Ramdas, also whispering. There are many in the walls. Ah exclaimed the young man. It is a wonder the child is not terrified of them. Ramdas made a gesture with his hands. He also smiled respectfully. He was in this place as the intimate exponent of Sarah, though she had only spoken to him once. "'The child is the little friend of all things, Sahib,' he answered. "'She is not as other children. I see her when she does not see me. I slip across the slits and look at her many nights to see that she is safe. I watch her from my window when she does not know I am near. She stands on the table there and looks out at the sky as if it spoke to her. The sparrows come at her call. The rat she is fed and tamed in her loneliness.' The poor slave of the house comes to her for comfort. There's a little child who comes to her in secret. There is one older who worships her and would listen to her forever if she might. This I have seen when I have crept across the roof. But the mistress of the house, who is an evil woman, she is treated like a pariah. but she has the bearing of a child who is the blood of kings. You seem to know a great deal about her, the secretary said. All her life, each day I know, answered Randas. Her going out I know, and her coming in, her sadness and her poor joys, her coldness and her hunger. I know when she sits alone until midnight, learning from her books. I know when her secret friends steal to her and she is happier, as children can be, even in the midst of poverty, because they come and she may laugh and talk with them in whispers. If she were ill I should know, and I would come and serve her if it might be done. You are sure no one comes near this place by herself, and that she will not return and surprise us. She would be frightened if she found us here, and the Sahib cares for its plan would be spoiled. Ramdas crossed noiselessly to the door and stood close to it. None mount here by herself, Saib, he said. She has gone out with her basket and may be gone for hours. If I stand here I can hear any step before it reaches the last flight of the stairs. The secretary took a pencil and a tablet from his breast pocket. Keep your ears open, he said, and he began to walk slowly and softly around the miserable little room making rapid notes on his tablet as he looked at things. First he went to the narrow bed. He pressed his hand upon the mattress and uttered an exclamation. "'As hard as stone,' he said. "'That will have to be altered some day when she is out. A special journey can be made to bring it across. It cannot be done tonight.' He lifted the covering and examined the one thin pillow. "'Coverlet dingy and worn, blanket thin, sheets patched and ragged,' he said." What a bed for a child to sleep in, and in a house which calls itself respectable. There has not been a fire in that grate for many a day, glancing at the rusty fireplace. Never since I have seen it, said Ramdas. The mistress of the house is not one who remembers that another than herself may be cold. The secretary was writing quickly on his tablet. He looked up from it as he tore off a leaf and slipped it into his breast pocket. It is a strange way of doing the thing, he said. Who planned it? Ramdas made a modestly apologetic obeisance. It is true that the first thought was mine, Saib, he said, though it was naught but a fancy. I am fond of this child. We are both lonely. It is her way to relate her visions to her secret friends. Being sad one night, I lay close to the open skylight and listened. The vision she related told what this miserable room might be if it had comforts in it. She seemed to see it as she talked, and she grew cheered and warmed as she spoke. And she came to this fancy, and the next day, the Sahib came ill and wretched. I told him of the thing to amuse him. It seemed then but a dream, but it pleased the Sahib. To hear of the child's doings gave him entertainment. He became interested in her and asked questions. At last, he began to please himself with the thought of making her visions real things. You think it can be done while she sleeps? Suppose she awakened, suggested the secretary, and it was evident that whatsoever the plan referred to was, it had caught and pleased his fancy as well as the Sahib Kerr's I can move as if my feet were of velvet, Ram Dass replied, and children sleep soundly, even the unhappy ones. I could have entered this room in the night many times, and without causing her to turn upon her pillow. If the other bearer passes to me the things through the window, I can do all and she will not stir.' When she awakens, she will think a magician has been here. He smiled as if his heart warmed under his robe, and the secretary smiled back at him. It will be like a story from the Arabian Nights, he said. Only an Oriental could have planned it. It does not belong to London folks. They did not remain very long, to the great relief of Melchizedek, who, as he probably did not comprehend their conversation, felt their movements and whispers ominous. The young secretary seemed interested in everything. He wrote down things about the floor, the fireplace, the broken footstool, the old table, the walls, which last he touched with his hand again and again, seeming much pleased when he found that a number of old nails had been driven in various places. You can hang things on them, he said. Ramda smiled mysteriously. Yesterday, when she was out, he said, I entered, bringing with me small, sharp nails which can be pressed into the wall without blows from a hammer. I placed many in the plaster where I may need them they are ready. The Indian gentleman's secretary stood still and looked around him as he thrust his tablet back into his pocket. I think I have made notes enough. We can go now, he said. The Sayab Kersford has a warm heart. It is a thousand pities that he has not found the lost child. If he should find her, his strength would be restored to him, said Ramdas. His god may lead her to him yet. Then they slipped through the skylight as noiselessly as they had entered it, And after he was quite sure they had gone, Melchizedek was greatly relieved and in the course of a few minutes felt it safe to emerge from his hole again and scuffle about in the hope that even such alarming human beings as they might have chanced to carry crumbs in their pockets and drop one or two of them. Well you don't know this because I edit the podcast but I made so many mistakes in this episode. Like I don't know maybe like Ten or twenty. I usually make less, but I don't know what was wrong with me today. Especially the last paragraph. The well, Melch- Melchisedek was greatly relieved and all that. Oh my goodness! Very tongue twister for me, at least. Hmm. What do you think Ramdas is up to? And will Mister Carmichael, who, as you'll remember, went off to Russia to find well, Ralph Cruise's little girl? I sure hope he does. Time for the jingle. This jingle is called. The Role of Roly-Poly-Roy Once on a time a lad I knew, his sister called him Bubby. His cheeks were red, his eyes were blue, and he was plump and chubby. Indeed he was so stout a boy, some called him Roly-Poly-Roy, they called him that for he was fat and very plump and chubby. He caused his father grief profound and made his mother worry, because he'd roll along the ground when he was in a hurry for as he couldn't see his toes, he often tumbled on his nose, so on the whole, t'was best to roll when he was in a hurry. Get up, the people urged, but he replied there's no use talking. I roll around because, you see, it's easier than walking. And though it looked extremely droll to see the lad lie down and roll, it was forsooth for that fat youth far easier than walking. One day he thought he'd try to ride, alas he was so bulky, he tumbled off the other side which made him rather sulky. He heard his comrades jeer and scoff, again he tried and tumbled off, and when he fell they'd shout and yell, of course it made him sulky. Just out of town there was a place with rolling ground and hilly, and here Roy started for a race with Dick and Tom and Willie. You'll know of course before you're told that Roy just laid him down and rolled. And so you see, he easily beat Tom and Dick and Willie. That day two giants came along from Hunkamunka Valley, seeking some ten pins good and strong for their new bowling alley. They reached the hilly sort of place just as our hero won the race. Look at him roll. They said he'll bowl on our new bowling alley. The other boys are squarely built for ten pins they'll do finely, no matter if a few get killed, and then they smiled benignly. Quickly they kidnapped ten small boys, all howling with a fearful noise. They took them all and Roy for ball, and then they smiled benignly. They hurried to their home, and then began their barbarous bowling. They set in rows the children ten, and then set Roy a-rolling. But as the giants were strong and great, they shot poor Roy at such a rate, and with such might that out of sight, poor Roy was set a-rolling. He rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled, but soon his fears dispelling. With happiness, he did behold, he'd safely reached his dwelling. Secure and safe from further harms, his mother caught him in her arms and said with joy, my darling boy, you've safely reached your dwelling. Now rolling seems to him to be more dangerous than walking, and roly-poly-roy you'll see along the sidewalk stalking. He'll always have a certain fear that giants may be lurking near, and so he'll go with motion slow, along the sidewalk stalking. Whew, that was a long jingle. Did you like it? I did, but I don't think it's nice to bully people and call them names like the boys did when Rolly Poly Roy tried to ride his bike. What do you think? And that's the end of our episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. Come back on Monday when we will hear the first part of the 15th chapter. Tremendous thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound we heard and to Project Gutenberg for the books we read. See you next week!